I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today's guest said at an early age that she wanted to be a lawyer to make things fair. She has always worked to lift up the underserved, as you'll hear in her story. Donisha Posey is a civil rights attorney and diversity thought leader and currently serves as the vice president of diversity, equity, and belonging at Ivy Tech Community College. As the nation's largest community college system and the state's largest post-secondary institution, Ms. Posey works to ensure all students, staff, faculty, and community members have access and opportunity. She's received numerous accolades, including the Indianapolis Business Journal's 40 Under 40 Distinction and Indy's Best and Brightest in Education, both in 2020. Ms. Posey serves as board chair of the Marion County Bar Association and as a member of the Indiana Latino Expo, the Indiana Supreme Court's Language Access Advisory Council, the Indianapolis Urban League Exchange, and the 2021 NBA All-Star Legacy Committee. During our conversation today, she'll share a pivotal moment in her career that taught her to make life what she wants it to be. She says, you've got to know who you are and what you bring to the table. Her example is so inspiring. Check it out. Ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to be a lawyer. I always found the inequities in everything. Um, I was a the middle child, right? So older brother always got what he wanted. Baby sister always got what she wanted. And I was the one in the middle complaining that nothing was fair. So I decided from a very young age that I was going to be a lawyer to make things fair. <laughs> Um, so I ended up going to law school, honestly, not knowing any lawyers in my, you know, no lawyers in my family, uh, no lawyers really in my network at all. Saw what they did on TV, knew I liked, like I said, I wanted things to be fair and I like to argue. So I figured, all right, I'll go and do it. And just went, you know, based on faith, just, and, and that's how I got into law school. During law school, just try to hone in on, okay, I'm here now, now exactly what I want to do. And just, I, I felt from, from the beginning that my calling was to help the underserved, um, you know, the under, underdog wanted to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to, to equal access to the law, which is where my initial focus began. Um, met my husband during law school, got married, um, right before my third year of law school, August. And then by September, I was pregnant with my first kid. So I, I went through my last year of law school pregnant and just thought, all right, I'm just going to stay at home. There's no way that I'm going to take the bar a month after giving birth. I'll figure it out later. So that's what I, I did. I, I didn't take the bar in the summer after I graduated law school. I had my my baby girl, Naima. And then uh, four months after Naima was born, I found out I was pregnant again. <laughs> so I was pregnant again, decided, okay, what am I doing? I haven't even began practicing law yet. Haven't taken the bar yet. How am I going to do this? 
decided to just do it. Just let's just go and take the bar now. If I, you know, better take it now than, than later when I have two babies, I can just take it now that I have a, a nine month old and I'm six or seven months pregnant. So if you've ever met anyone who's taken the bar, they'll, they'll tell you that those are the two most grueling days ever, but got through it, passed the bar and then thought, okay, I, I've passed the bar, but I don't have a job. I don't have any job prospects because I wasn't interviewing for any jobs or looking for any jobs as, you know, just having my babies. But serendipitously, um, I got a call literally right before I took the bar, like the week before I took the bar from an associate who had been practicing law for a couple of years, wanted to expand her practice um, and asked me if I was looking for a job and if I spoke Spanish because it was an immigration law firm um, and the majority of the clients spoke Spanish. So I said, uh, yeah, I'm looking for a job. Um, I'm taking the bar next week. I have a nine month old baby and I'm also six months pregnant. Is that okay? <laughs> and she said, of course, that's fine. We'll, we'll figure out, you know, what it is that you need and get you the time that you need. But definitely, I definitely want you here. So I practiced Im immigration law for about two years um, at that firm. And then I moved to the Indiana Civil Rights Commission, which is an agency under, you know, the executive branch of the governor's office. I started as the administrative law judge. I was 27 or 28 at the time, the youngest uh, administrative law judge in the commission's history at that time, and really was just like, okay, what am I doing here? How did I even get here? But I did that only for about a year, maybe a little bit less than a year um, until I was asked to change positions and become the deputy director and general counsel for the Civil Rights Commission. I loved the work that I did there. At the Civil Rights Commission, um, the the mission of the Civil Rights Commission is to enforce the Indiana civil rights laws and to eradicate discrimination across the state. What better uh, mission could you have? Did that for a, a couple of years, and I recently transitioned to Ivy Tech Community College, where I started as the executive director of employee diversity, equity, and belonging. So. Um, during my transition from the Civil Rights Commission to Ivy Tech, I wanted to go into a field where I was doing the same work, um, working with equity, working with anti-racism and anti-discrimination, but wanted to be on the more preventative side. So I decided to go into the DNI, you know, space where I could work uh, with a company or with many companies to ensure that the policies and the practices and the procedures of the particular institution was anti-racist, right? Was uh, coming from an equity mindset. And I was lucky enough to, to get the position at Ivy Tech uh, doing that work, um, specifically focused on the employees. So as you mentioned, Ivy Tech is the largest post-secondary institution in the state. We have over 6,000 employees across the entire state. And so trying to create policies and, and statewide systems is quite a feat. <laughs> so I did that work for about four months. And when there was a position open at Ivy Tech for the vice president role of diversity, I went for it and here I am. 
Yeah, it's you know, and it's interesting to hear you talk about it because you can see all how all the dots have been connected. It feels like all around this theme of helping the underserved, which you said from the beginning has been really important to you. Exactly. You don't plan these things, right? You have a semi-vague vision of kind of what you want to do, but you just have to seize the opportunity. Like when when moments come, when you meet people, I mean, that's really helped me uh, during my, I mean, I have a short career. I, I graduated law school in 2014. So I've only been, you know, working, you know, in my profession for six years. But as, what has really helped me is finding people that I admire, that I look up to, folks that, that I want to do what they're doing, right? And not being afraid to reach out to them and invite them for coffee, or I guess that that's pre-COVID. So I guess now invite them for a, a Zoom call to get to know them. How do they get to where they are? Um, what advice would they have for for someone who is trying to be where they are? That's been really helpful for me. Yeah, that's that's a great tip, and I w- I want to come back to that. So I've made I've made a note. But before we lose sight of this uh, this really pivotal moment that you talked about, your last year of law school, you got married, then you you got pregnant soon after, and then you were pregnant again after the birth of your first child, and and so this pivotal moment of trying to figure out, okay, am I going to take the bar? And you and you chose to do it. So there, it feels like there's this theme of taking the hard path as well. You could easily have chosen not to do that. So talk a little bit about that. What was it that drove you to make that decision to know I'm going to go ahead and do this now? I was completely shocked. So the first kid is like, all right, you know, that's what happens when you get married, right? That's what they tell you. First marriage, then a baby in a baby carriage. So that was fine. And then when I realized, when I found out that I was pregnant the second time, my daughter was just four months. I was just figuring out how to be a mom, right? Or starting to figure that out. And I just, it just shocked me. I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? How am I going to have another baby right now? I haven't even started work. Like just so many things was just going through my mind. So many negative things, right? So many just doubting myself. But what really helped me was talking to my mentors, talking to other mothers who have, you know, who, who balance work and and motherhood and just, you know, ask them like, should I do it now? Should I wait some more? You know, just getting different perspectives helps me have the confidence in myself to know like I can do it. Whether I do it today or whether I do it next year, I need to do it. So let's just do it now. Yeah. And the thing, there's so many things about that that I love, like as a, as a female leader, like knowing that there's emerging female talent listening, you know, that when you were talking that first job in immigration law and you said that, you know, she asked about Spanish speaking and all all this incredible expertise you had that lent itself to that role, but you had this stuff in your head around like, oh gosh, like nobody's going to hire me. And but you laid all your cards on the table and she's like, yeah, that's great. Absolutely. It was your talent and your expertise. Like that's the focus. We as women and women of color, especially when it comes to knowing who you are and knowing what you bring to the table, it's 
we sometimes doubt that, right? Well, we're not the total package. I don't have everything, right? I have these babies. I've never practiced law before. I've you know, never done this or done that. But all of those things make us who we are. And we discount the things that are great about us. So as you mentioned, this person contacted me because she knew that I spoke Spanish, right? So she was like, hey, I just I need an attorney who speaks Spanish, someone who's ready to be trained, someone that I can help mentor and, and build. That's what she was looking for. And I, I fit that distinct description that she was looking for. Um, we're always thinking that we don't have the total package, but the total package is not being uh, 100% perfect and having all the experience and expertise and, and this and that. We all fit the perfect you know, vision for something. Yes, absolutely. And that those things that we're making up in our heads to perhaps be challenges, just how awesome it is. I mean, the fact that you passed the bar while pregnant and having a baby, like that's, that's incredible, right? That's to be celebrated. Like that says to me, like, wow, she's got a lot of skill and a lot of talent to be able to do all of that at the same time. That's amazing. Yeah, and and we don't consider those to be skills, right? Right, right. I mean, those are the, you know, resilience and determination and ambition. Those are the things that really make us who we are. And like you said, those those are the things that we need to celebrate more often. Celebrating that. Yeah, that's so good. So let's keep going then through the journey. So that that resilience, that like go for it. You, you told me initially when we talked, you told me that one of the things that taught you was just, just this mantra of like, we've got to make life what we want it to be. So how did that experience help shape that for you? Just being able to, to look back at the things that I've done with, with having that, having the, I guess what we call the imposter syndrome of, of not being enough or, or not having everything together, right? Thinking about that and thinking about what I've been through really showed me, okay, Danisha, you need to let all of that go, own it, own who you are, right? You don't hide it. Don't try to be anything that you're not. Own who you are. And that is what's going to take you to the next level. And from that moment, really from, from that pivotal moment that you described, I've always taken life that way. Like, I'm just going to do it. And if I fall, I fall, right? There's a lesson in the fall, right? So just changing your mindset is 100% what it takes to, to move to the next level. I just really credit that to my mom, seeing where she came from to where she is now. I mean, it has taught me your mindset just going after what you want, you can make anything happen for yourself. She must be so proud of you. <laughs> yeah, I really, I, that got me. Like I got big tears in my eyes when you said that. If I fall, I fall. Because it, it's such an inspiring, empowering message that it's not about the outcome, right? It's about having the confidence in myself, believing enough in myself and what I've got and my own talent and what I bring to the table to go for it. That's true confidence. Oh my God, that that is the outcome, right? I mean, we're we're always searching for something. The journey is really what what life is about, right? Not that that fancy job or the you know being in the C suite or whatever it is that we all have different goals. But 
honestly, the journey is what this is all about. Amen. The journey is what it's all about. Well, so let's let's fast forward then. So I love the foundation of the conversation we've had so far because like now, so think about the work that you're doing now, right? You said you loved your work at the Civil Rights Commission, which really prepared you and gave you such great insight to be able to do the, the huge job that you're in now. So diversity, equity, and belonging. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the difference between those and Gosh, what an important time in the history of the world to have that title. (laughs) So thank you for the work that you do. And so we met on a panel that I facilitated, and I was so impressed with your ability to communicate in such a clear way with also authenticity and grace. You have such a talent there that you meet people where they are, but also don't apologize for your perspective or thought. That's a, that's a gift. Thank you. <laughs> that's funny. A, a few people reached out to me after that panel and said similar things. So I've been um, working with a, a couple of other institutions on, on their uh, diversity efforts. So thank you for facilitating that panel. It's, it's opened up some new doors for me as well. Um, but when it comes to diversity, equity, and Ivy Tech, we use the the term belonging. Most people use inclusion um, when they you know think of DEI work. Um, so diversity is just having different people with different perspectives. Your perspective comes from so many different areas of your life, right? How you grew up, what kind of job do you have, uh, what is your family structure like? what did you watch on TV, right? Those are all the things that uh, give us different perspectives. But typically when we're thinking of uh, diversity, we're thinking of ensuring that there are different people of different races and ethnicities, sexual orientation, sex general, socioeconomic status, religion. You know, we think about, about those big, you know, categories, right? That we put people in for better or for worse. So that's diversity, ensuring that there's people with with different perspectives, different backgrounds at the table. Equity is ensuring that those people that you have at the table have access, right? Have access to the different opportunities. So are we ensuring that people of different perspectives and backgrounds have access to leadership positions, to um, you know, male-dominated positions? Are we ensuring that women have access to those as well? Ensuring that there is opportunity at the table for different perspectives is is how we think of equity. And then belonging or inclusion, right, is ensuring that the people that are there um, are able to bring their full selves into the work, right, or whatever the process is that you're doing. So do I feel comfortable being my full self, being, you know, a woman of color with children, uh, married? you know, coming from a low socioeconomic background, do I feel comfortable bringing all of those things about myself into the workplace? Because the more that people are bringing their full selves to work, um, then the more innovation and creativity that can happen. Um, We see time and time again, there's been so many studies done around this that uh, when you just, when you're around people who look like you, think like you, behave like you, you're going to get the same thing every time. 
but the more diversity, the more differences that you have and bringing and being able to bring those perspectives with respect, with affirmation, with welcoming an inclusive environment, the creativity is endless. People are are able to challenge each other, but challenge each other in a way that is fruitful and that brings more innovation to the table. So yeah, I love the work that I do. It's it's so awesome. But like you mentioned, everyone's on different points on of their journey of 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 discovering this. So that is where most of my work lies. Well, and you're someone who is very real. So I wonder if we could um and we've built some trust in our relationship. So I wonder if we could just have a real conversation over the next few minutes and model the way for our listeners. <laughs> Cuz you know Because I'm curious your perspective about like doing this role today versus even a year ago. You know, the diversity and inclusion efforts have really over the last decade come a long way, haven't they? But even in just six months, a year, you know, how is having that title today for you, Donisha, how is it like personally different? It's a struggle. It's hard. It's very challenging right now. Um, So much is going on in the world. And my job is to ensure that everyone has what they need, right, in order to, to thrive. So being that person, who is that person for me, right? So I'm, I'm, you know, people call me every day, telling me about the things that they're experiencing, whether it's in the workplace at Ivy Tech or students or whomever, putting their burdens on me, which is fine. I love it. That's, that's what I am called to do. That's, that's who I am. I want to fix, right? So, you know, you give me a problem and I'm going to fix it. But when I'm also, when the world is dealing with everything that we're seeing on the national and international news, uh, when it comes to racial injustice, it's just horrible. It's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard for me. I was just telling someone the other day. So my son, he's five. His name's Cairo. He loves superheroes um, and he especially loves Black Panther. Um, when the movie came out, we you know took the kids to see it. He has Black Panther costumes. I mean, he's all about it. I think he was Black Panther for Halloween last year. So uh, Chadwick Boseman, the actor who plays Black Panther, um, passed away from colon cancer, I believe. So when he passed away the next day, me and my husband told my son, hey, you know, Cairo, the actor that plays Black Panther, he passed away last night. And the first question that my five-year-old son asked us was if he got shot by the police. My five-year-old son asked me that. Why would he think that Black Panther would have gotten shot by the police? Why was that the first question? Um, and it just killed me, right? This is, this is the realities that we're living with today. How did you respond to that? Well, I mean, we, we told him, well, no, he, he didn't get shot. You know, he had a, you know, a disease and we kind of tried to talk him through that in a, in a five-year-old way. We don't really expose our kids to everything that's going on in the news. They, they hear it. They see it. Um, we try to speak to them as as clearly as we can, but at, at a level that they understand. 
But yeah, the the past, I get all the people that I guess he's heard of in the past year or so when we talk about, you know, you know, this black man died or, you know, whatever, it has been through racial injustice. And yeah, it's just it's just it was just really hard to hear that from my five year old, that that was his first instinct that he must have gotten shot by the police. Yeah, that it's uh, such a part of his experience that that's the first thing that he would go to. That's so sad. And as a mom, too, I can imagine how, because now you're thinking, okay, how do I, how do I help, help with that? How do I talk through that with him? My role as a mother, right, is to ensure that I am teaching and loving my children and, and making them, you know, good people to go out into this world. But at the same time, I need to also make sure that this world is a safe place for my children when they when they're ready to go out there. So I take my my job very seriously at Ivy Tech and and just my work in the community very seriously because if we want change to happen if 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 I want a world where my son doesn't think that is the first thing, you know, think that is the first thing that that happens, then there's a lot of things that we have to do as a as a community you know, as a nation, there's, there's so much um, healing that needs to happen and we, we got to get on it. And are we, are, are we, is the conversation from your perspective, is the conversation different today? And is that helpful? Is that part of the healing? And are you seeing, even if they're tiny little baby steps, are you seeing some of that? Definitely. Definitely. I guess we'll know in a, like five or 10 years, if, if the things that we've done today, you know, were worth it or did it, you know, actually do anything. But it seems as if people are talking about it more today than ever. People are trying to understand, right? We're not saying that people are there, that we're all there, we, we've got it together. That's, that's not where we are. That's definitely not the case. But many more people are willing to have that conversation. They're, they're willing to look inward to see, well, what am I doing or what am I not doing to push things further? So we, we got the book White Fragility and it's on our book stand right now. And so a group of our friends, you know, all white people were at my house a couple of weeks ago and we were all talking about that book. And I very much felt in the moment, like we've never had this conversation. Isn't it great that we're, I mean, that's like one small, tiny baby step, but the, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. It's needed. It's, it's, it's time. It's, it's past time, right? <laughs> you know, if, if we can learn anything from this year of, you know, being quarantined at home and being able to, to, to see how things have been highlighted, the disparities, right, have been highlighted. If we can't do anything, we just need to learn how to be, how to love more, how to be open. I mean, you reaching out to me um, to be on this, this has been a, a tremendous experience. So I, I just appreciate you. But I mean, that's what it's all about, like building community. Absolutely. Building community and connection and asking questions and trying to understand. And yeah, I have, I have so much to learn and I've never had the experiences that you have, and but I can ask questions and I can open my hand and say, hey, how can I help? You know? Yeah, for sure. Ah, oh, goodness. Well, you you are such an inspiration. 
Yeah. You, when you're, when you're moved to tears more than one time in a 30 minute segment, you know, you know, there's something good there. <laughs> That's super sweet. Yeah. But just, you know, starting with the, the story about the last year of law school, the tenacity with which you did all of those things and went ahead and took the bar and passed and got the job in immigration law because of your tremendous talent and expertise and then onto the Civil Rights Commission and now all the great work that you're doing at Ivy Tech. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your example and your heart and you're such a badass. <laughs> <laughs> you're such a badass. You know what? I am. You are. You've earned it. <laughs> <laughs> You have earned it. So if our listeners want to connect with you, as no doubt they will, what's the best way to do that? Definitely through LinkedIn. You can just search me, Donisha Posey, through LinkedIn. I also have a Twitter, but I'm not too active on that. So LinkedIn is probably best. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story. 